0: I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy a megachurch, and now I'm not really sure what I believe anymore.
1: I'm Dave. I'm an occasional preacher, a Bible theology nerd, a movie buff, and I'm an evangelical.
0: You know, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, hey, who it today? Yeah, I'm feeling generous. <laughs> um, this is Veterans.
1: of Culture Wars is the podcast where we talk all about evangelical Christianity, the beliefs, history, culture, and personal stories from uh, the faith. And we welcome you to the podcast whether you are a believer or not. And uh, Mark Driscoll has been a lot in the news recently. We have talked about him, as you our audience know, on our podcast. and there's a very popular podcast put out by Christianity today. Uh, the Rise and Fall of Marsville Church, which was pastored by Mark Driscoll. And today, we're going to dive more into the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, where Mark Driscoll is currently pastor. And Zach, who do we have as guests on our show to help us do that today?
0: You told me you were going to do the introduction. I'm totally unprepared. Um, let's see. I'm looking at their Zoom names here. I think Chad um, <laughs> Frize no that can't be right okay Sorry. <laughs> chad I've gotten that many times <laughs> oh, oh, i'm sure all the time constantly uh Kahad, uh chad freeze is is here who uh created the the blog dear driscoll uh beginning with an open letter about things he observed uh well as, as part of the uh security team there uh and uh benjamin Aeneas or Aeneas?
2: Uh Aeneas.
0: Any, it's a fake, made-up oh, name, so it doesn't either. matter. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm totally convinced that my pronunciation of my last name is is completely wrong. Chad Hello. and Benjamin, Ben. Oh, can I call you Ben? Please do. Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, We've, thank you, we, thank uh, you. Happy we, to be here. When I saw you put out your statement, uh, it reminded me a lot of some of the the, the stuff I was engaged with uh, towards the end of Mars Hill, and I just remember how difficult that was uh psychologically d- just dealing with with so many people's stories of pain and trauma uh that they were sending in that that i was reading and and having to to vet and verify before we'd posted and all that and and yeah i just reached out to you saying hey i i have a bit of a background with what you're doing right now and please you know keep going its It's hard, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you got people supporting you, and uh you know if there's anything I can do, let me know um so it's it's really fun to have you on here to to talk. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of uh common ground, but also it's it's pretty different. I mean I think, I think you know you both were were probably a fair amount older than I was when I started uh being uh, under the teachings of Mark Driscoll. Uh, you know, as an 18 year old. And, uh, you know, experiencing this in his Seattle incarnation is pretty different from Arizona and all that. Um, But let's, let's start uh, with with Chad and then and then Ben, can you just give us a little bit of your history with evangelicalism, and how you ended up at the Trinity Church?
3: Yeah, thank you. Uh, First of all, thanks for having us on today. And and for reaching out when you did a few months ago. So um no, I'm not an Arizona native military and moved all over, brought me here. I grew up a Southern Baptist. Actually, my family, I'm from East Tennessee, deep south. i was born and raised there. Um, so Baptist was the denomination that I identified as, never really put a label of the evangelical on it. Um, never heard it until you know past five, eight years ago. And people within my circles and friends and family using that term of the label. So um, I accepted Christ when I was 12 years old, bounced in and out of church over the years, especially my young adulthood. I met my wife in 2012. And fast forward to 2018, I was retiring from the Marine Corps. And uh, my wife had gone to Mars Hill 2007-2008. And she knew of Mark Driscoll and knew of the Trinity Church. So we happened to start watching Trinity Church online in late 2017 and 2018. Already had plans to move to the Phoenix area. So we said, well, let's start watching it. We did. It seemed like he had turned over a new leaf and changed from he being Mark, right, uh, from the Seattle days. And we moved here and started attending Trinity Church in person. And Trinity was young in its days back then and still growing. And um, those relationships, I think, were a higher priority than what they are now. Um, but what you get now is the true colors, not just from Mark, but from his staff who he's purposely surrounded himself with. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I'm trying to keep it brief, but that's what brought us here. And, um, you know, we're going to remain in the area Phoenix that is, but definitely not Trinity.
1: How long were you in the Marine Corps for?
3: I was in the Marine Corps 14 years, uh, trying oh. to make it to 20 and, uh, I had some injuries that I sustained overseas that caused me to get a medical retirement. So. Um, my time in the Marines ended early, but Hey, that was God's plan. And
0: now I'm here. So watching the videos of, of the sermons and such of the Trinity church, you were saying that, that when you started going, you know, that the community, the relationships uh, were a more important part of the church there. Were you able to get any sort of sense of what the community was like there when watching the videos?
3: Oh, watching the videos, no, because they don't really show the people in the sanctuary, right? Like it's sitting in there, it's mm-hmm. it's just stage presence. You you see Mark, you hear what he's saying. Um, oftentimes, people that are drawn to his church like what he's saying and the message. And his abrasiveness is attractive to a lot of people, especially you know being a Marine. And uh, he was a straight shooter. What I thought was pure and honest and his message and his delivery. So of course that was attractive. Plus my wife had attended his church before. And of course she didn't get behind the scenes or in depth in any sort of volunteering or any staff position. So she didn't really get to see like behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> and neither did I until well, February of this year. So uh,
0: your, your wife does happen to be a woman and uh, yeah. they, they don't tend to get very far behind the scenes uh, in a Mark Driscoll operation um, that no. I'm, it's one of the things about the Christianity Today podcast that that bothers me, but at the same time, I understand it. Where I'm like, man, I really wish he was talking to more women that are from the church. But I have such a hard time coming up with a list of the women that I would want him to talk to because so oh, yeah. few were given any kind of of power or influence. Yeah, really were
1: shut out. <laughs> that's why a lot of the voices yeah. were from outside the church that were uh, women critics of Driscoll, because um, that's I mean. That's where they could put their voices out there with what was going on.
3: I will share that my wife here at Trinity, you know, my wife's a veteran. She spent 10 years in the in the Navy, um, security
1: experience,
3: security involvement. And she was on my security team. I needed I needed women. Security team needs women uh, just as we need men. So yeah, um, she provided direct security for Grace Driscoll. So she stayed on the ladies. And she has a very compelling story on what she endured and how she was treated. Uh, both while we were there and after she left. And um, I'm just praying that God gives her an avenue and a way to share that story. And when that story Mm -hmm. comes out, if if she chooses to share it, then it'll be impactful, I can tell you that. But you're right, not that many women are on staff or serving in in those capacities, at least from what I've seen. You
1: you had heard that Mark Driscoll had done some bad things in Seattle, but it was just, uh, it was just kind of the idea that he had planted this new church. He probably learned his lessons. And did you, did you dive that deep into some of the material that was out there, or was it just kind of like, oh, he just, like you said, seemed like he turned over a new leaf and was moving on?
3: I owe everyone in Marsville an apology, deep apology for not researching. Uh, my time in the Marine Corps, I was an intelligence officer, so you would imagine that I would do my homework and research. And I didn't, um, probably because I know my own sins. I know my past. I know God's grace on me. I know that people do change. Um, Tried to have that compassion and grace moving into this, moving my family here, my wonderful wife, my beautiful daughters, seemed like everything was in the right direction to an amazing church and that he had changed or maybe that. A lot of also what I heard was the things that the charges brought up on him by the elders and misappropriation of funds and the whole plagiarism thing and book deals. I mean, the list goes on and on. That oh, a lot of that's not true. Don't look into it. People were telling me, don't Google him. Don't look into it.
0: <laughs> Fast
3: forward a few years, and I'm in those shoes telling people, my friends that I work with yeah, yeah we go to this amazing church, great things are happening oh yeah, who's the pastor? Mark Driscoll, dot, dot, dot. But don't Google him because you're going to see a lot of bad things that it's probably not true. I've never really looked myself. So that's kind of hypocritical of me not to tell people. And I admit that. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I know, answer your direct question, I did not research it much, should have. But then again, God puts us in different places at different times for different reasons. And had I researched it, who knows? Maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation today.
1: Yeah. And please know, there's no, you know, I don't, I don't mean to heap any shame on you with my question. It was just kind of oh, absolutely, your background. Um, I, I don't, I, I feel for the people at Trinity church. I, I don't think, you know, Zachariah or people up here in Seattle want to blame anybody going to the church. Um, it's more just, you know, it's just a sadness that, his, you know, Mark Driscoll is continuing to do his thing. He's continuing to hurt people and you know, the tragedy continues. The bus, unfortunately, keeps rolling on.
3: When I got here in person late 2018 and was attending Trinity in person, um, Mark, after his sermons would come out amongst everyone, shake their hands, give hugs before service, after service, in between services on Wednesday nights at the, at the real men, yeah, real men's group. So the men's ministry, same thing, right? Um, those relationships seem like he was so focused on relationships and he really loves people and he's lifting people up and he's there for them. And what I learned as time went on, it was a facade. The church was small, not as many people, and he cares more about money. I say now revenue over relationships. He says he's all about relationships, but he needed to build up that, that base. It's like starting a business. You need to build that customer base, right? So that's looking back. That's what it was, building it up, keeping people coming in, keep the cash flow coming in. And now, as of early this year, tells us in a staff meeting, stat guys, we don't need to focus on relationships. We're no longer a relational church. We've gotten too big. Only focus on those people that donate X amount of dollars. On Sunday. say hi to them, shake their hands, make them feel welcome, and at least make them um, at least remember their names. That's what I expect you to do. But we're no longer relational. So that was the change when I first came in person. Yeah, it was relational, but what was the motive? That's what you got to ask.
0: Yeah, yeah, he had to he had to build out a, a community to some extent. I, I still get the impression that, unlike Mars Hill, where there were multiple buildings, expensive mortgages, he had to keep people coming in. The tithes are what covered uh, the operations, um, and and ultimately. Getting you know having people leave the church and stop tithing is is what led to the collapse of the church. Uh, but in Arizona, I I don't get the impression that the church is big enough and expensive enough where the tithing in person is is all that important to his ministry surviving and that his his large donor base of, of his online audience uh takes care of of most of, of of the cost
1: situation for it that's my suspicion as well. I think yeah.
2: there's three big donors in the Seattle area that actually cover most of the bills still
1: yeah wow interesting
0: that's- let's before we get into more questions and things let's let's bring in Ben and why don't you give a little bit of your background uh so that we can when we ask questions it would make
2: sense for either of you to answer. So I'm Ben. I'm, uh, was born and raised in Romania, uh, under communism. It was kind of fun times. Um, my family was Romanian Baptist, which is like the conservative version of Southern Baptist. Um, so very legalistic background and my, I don't know how to explain it. Like, despite all that, um, had a really good childhood, um, moved over here when I was seven. So back in 87 in the fall, uh, just, in time to flee before the communism fell. Uh moved to Gresham, which is a suburb of Portland, and was fortunate enough to get into a really great church, uh, Good Shepherd Community Church out in Boring was uh pastored by Stu Weber. Randy Alcorn was also present, uh Alan Holofka, Steve Keels, uh, many other pastors too. And it was a mega church, which is why I'm comfortable with mega churches. Um But at the same time, it was highly relational. We were in the pastor's homes. We were doing life with their kids. Um, It was just a good, healthy environment. So that was my upbringing. Um, Really blessed. And about, I think it was January 2nd, we made the decision of 2020 to move to Phoenix uh, just because my in-laws had moved out there. We loved the area. We loved sunshine. And the Northwest was kind of getting a little bit old as far as the grayness goes. (laughs) And uh, we, uh, we made the decision to move and then COVID happened, which made the move even more possible. And we got down here and (laughs) believe it or not, the second week we're here, we want to go to church because we had decided that that was a big deal to us is to go to make church kind of the priority. Uh, Since we'd become adults, we'd kind of fallen out of the habit of going to church. We'd allowed other things to be a priority and we'd fit church in. So on the way down here, It was a matter of we want to be, we want to have our relationship with Christ be the center of our lives and then fit in everything else afterwards. So, the second week we're down here, um, Trinity opens, and my cousin had just told us about that Mark's in town. Now, we didn't know who really Mark was. He was from Seattle. I knew that he had something up there, but uh, my cousin had actually worked at one of the campuses and assured me that there was nothing wrong. So, we're like, yeah, sure, we'll try it out. Did no research. I've apologized to many. Mars Hill people already, and I will continue to do so because I now realize how much courage it takes to actually go on the record and share your experience and the price you pay as far as being ostracized. Um, you know, having your experience completely tarnished and diminished like it doesn't matter, you're a one-off. And Mark is obviously God's um, he's the Pope essentially. In his own he, mind, yeah. Well, as far well, as that church structure, he'll intervene oh, right. on your behalf. So you can't go against the Pope.
1: And uh,
3: in Pastor Darian Bennett, his words, who, um, by the way, I don't know if you know that name, but he leads the, the men's ministry there. And Ben and I were both going through his uh, chaplaincy school or Calvinism school, um, the chaplain certification program. Darian said on multiple occasions that you guys are so lucky. So you guys don't know how much you're blessed. You have the greatest pastor on the face of this earth. I mean, he is he is as close to being Jesus Christ as humanly possible. Like he is Whoa. he is right. He is right next to being God. Like he so is he, right, he's as humanly or as close to humanly possible as being Jesus Christ himself. Ben, how many times did he say that? At least three or four times. That at least three I or literally four times. said this. So he literally, literally said, yeah. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. And um I got sick of it. In fact, it's in I included that statement in my email to Darian when I dropped out of the chaplain program, and it's in my Dear Pastor Mark letter. I have a link in there; a link you can go, people can go read it if you're listening to this. Uh, yeah, I got tired of hearing it all the time. It's like people idolize Mark and put him on this pedestal and treat him as a deity, and it's a fine line: are we worshiping God in Christ or are we worshiping Mark? Um, and we'll dive more into that probably later on in this discussion. I mean, to interject that piece from you, Ben, but I think it's important to to put that that's exactly how he's treated and how his own staff looks at him and talks about him.
1: My goodness. Back to your story, Ben, because I had seen this in other media reports, and this actually is kind of a little bit off topic, but I, I think you have a relation to Richard Wormbrand. Did I? Yes. Did I hear that correctly? Um,
2: my grandparents were really good friends with uh, him and his wife, and he is actually my mother's godfather. You're going to have to clue me in here. Wow. I don't Voice know. of the Martyrs. So I've, he was the founder. I've heard,
0: of I've heard of that. I don't know what they do.
2: So a little bit of his background, he was one of the first to kind of expose the the way that Christians were treated in communist countries. Because believe it or not, I mean, it's shocking to think of it now, but to a certain point, um, they were able to hide the fact that Christians were being abused, enslaved um, within those countries because, well, we don't we didn't have social media back then. So they were able to kind of keep that hidden, and as a result, they were able to kind of get along with, get away with uh, the atrocities they were committing without, you know, global outrage from all the Christian communities or quasi-Christian nations. I know that a lot of people would object to that, but um, you get what I'm saying with it. Mm-hmm. So uh he, when he finally did get out of imprisonment and got out of the country, he made it his kind of life goal to to stand. He He kind of wrote some books that actually shed light on that, and he really tried to make some rounds to expose what was going on Um, really neat, amazing man. I had the privilege of going to his bedside. um, I think in in his last couple of days of uh, on earth, and it was amazing to see somebody whose body was completely frail and gone. Um, And for the most part, even his memory, but he could recite Bible verses. Just, it, it was amazing. It was just coming out. Um, out of him i mean that that's what was in his heart so that was what was coming out and it was truly beautiful
1: and he wrote um i think his most famous book is tortured for christ and he testified it's his story and also about his testimony before congress i think in the 60s about about some of that stuff but um yeah i was curious it's a that's cool that's a part of your story it's a little bit of a rabbit trail but um we should bring things back to not so good news with um Mark Driscoll and Trinity Church. Um, Ben, I'm curious for you, um, because we were talking about you had some stories to share. Um, When was the moment you started attending Trinity Church in January 2020? When was the moment or moments when you started to realize something is not right with this church?
2: So, to correct, just side note, I started attending in June 8th, I believe, right when it launched back up. Uh, We made the decision to move in January. Um, Kind of a big move going across country was exciting and scary all at the same time. Um, First couple months, it seemed great. We invited like 30 people because we're kind of those gatherers. And uh, so we had a friend group already. It definitely didn't feel relational, minus the fact that my wife, who's super social, I'm kind of awkward compared to her. we just we brought a lot of people we met some you know congregants and we had a great time we really enjoyed it we thought the teaching was good primarily because it told me exactly what i wanted to hear so uh confirmation bias is a real real son of a gun be careful for that um and so we started attending we didn't really want to jump in and really get too involved but we we were attending everything so we were going to the men's um, men's Bible study, the women's ministry, and then also at the church and slowly kind of, I think, November timeframe um, might've been late October. Um, we decided that we wanted to get a little more involved, start serving. The girls wanted to serve. Um, they were both transitioning out of competitive sports due to some injuries from a car accident, and we needed to fill that time. So we said, okay, well, let's start serving. And we kind of got a little bit of a roadblock. Uh, it was weird. Uh, My wife wanted to do uh, uh, worship, and that was oddly kind of stalled. And my daughter wanted to do worship for youth ministry. She's got a great voice. Um, And that was turned into a no. And also on top of that, um, we wanted to, uh, both girls wanted to serve in the junior entrance program, which is just slave labor around the church, and they were super excited to do it. And both of them were turned down. So, like, okay, that's kind of odd and uh fast forward you know i'm trying to i'm trying to be the voice of reason thinking that you guys are reading too much into this it's not a big deal you know god's timing will be perfect and then uh i think it was a couple of weeks later all of a sudden the girls tell notify me that their pictures are getting removed everywhere from the trinity uh social media platform oh my i'm like oh, that's kind of odd and at this point you know i kind of lose credibility if i try to talk it down like oh no 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 I'm sure there's a rational explanation from it I go out of my way and I'm like okay let's have some conversations now you know I'm more than willing to accept whatever the the feedback is but just let's have a conversation so I reach out to uh, the worship pastor who's uh, Dustin just an amazing man I love that guy uh, you guys are blessed he's back in the northwest now at a great church um, gonna miss him tremendously him and his wife and his kids are just they're wonderful what's his and- last name uh blatnick okay uh dustin blatnick is he's such a gifted gifted musician um really sad to see him go he got him and his wife and his kids were treated so horribly uh but that's just sadly it's just a normal story at trinity that's what happens yeah i don't know if they know
1: that story or anything about it i don't don't believe i've heard it
2: oh well do you guys have a second because i'd love to share it Sure, the, the, the musicians
0: were a major, major part of Mars Hill and the growth of it and the identity and culture building there. Um, I'd imagine it's a different situation in, in Arizona. Like in, in Seattle, it was really mostly people that were in existing secular bands, you know, touring, playing stuff. And Mars Hill was the church they went to. And so they formed bands there and wrote all the songs and and all that stuff um is is trinity more of a, a a patchwork worship team thing we're gonna you know play play the hill song things and you know you can play guitar okay you you
2: come you can play bass whatever What's
0: yeah, it like
2: it, it's exactly that in a weird way though because they had they wanted really high production quality but they only had one person that was actually paid mm. uh, eventually they uh, hired luke chase as well which is One of the pastor's sons, um, I mean, not sons, brothers, and another talented musician. I think he plays like 21 instruments. So they had a lot of talent, but Dustin was basically charged with creating separate bands that had unique sounds and had a totally professional look and feel Mm. with a volunteer army. Not the easiest uh, ask, but dude is such a gifted musician that he was actually able to pull it off. Um, They had a total Southwestern rock because we're going to pander as hard as we can. We're going to have the, the boots. We're going to, we're going to have that whole entire Southern flair because why not? Uh, Punk rock wouldn't go so well down here. Right. (laughs) Um, So Dustin's just this incredible musician. He comes down from Tacoma. They, you know, they transplant, they help build up this team. They, they're actually the only pastors on staff that, you know, now we'll cover this later, but. Only pastor on staff that actually deserves the title of pastor, credential-wise, according to the Bible, but what do I know? Um, So he does all this, but I think the problem was that he ended up becoming too good. Regardless of what he was asked to do, he delivered, and people loved it. Uh, Here's a funny little story for you. Two Christmases ago, he was asked to do this uh, guitar intro as people were walking in, and it went off really cool. I I wasn't there yet. But this last year, Mark insisted that he did the exact same thing again, and he did it. And all of us that are brand new, because everybody's new all the time, we're just blown away. It was the coolest thing we've ever seen. Like, what an incredibly gifted musician! And everybody's asking for the little video and stuff. Like, hey, send this thing out because Trinity's all about those little snippets on the uh, on the gram and stuff. You know, they're really hip. And sure enough. Mark was really offended by it. In fact, to an email to the staff, he actually let him know that, you know, he was so appalled by it that he couldn't, the lead pastor couldn't even come down. He had to stay in his office because it just didn't represent him or his brand. Right.
0: Uh, Oh, the brand. He's the brand. And and he wasn't in there. So yeah, it was
2: his idea.
0: I mean, what? Oh my goodness. You, you, I, I, I think it's just just a syntactical thing, but you you mention the Trinity social platform. I assume you just mean the you know Instagram and Facebook and all. They they don't have an internal uh, social media tool there, do they? No, um, there,
3: there's no William Wallace the third just yet. Not well, where
2: that we're aware of. So. I mean,
0: that was actually that was the William Wallace the third thing was just like on a a uh, discussion forum. Um but, right. but within Mars Hill, they actually did have a a Facebook knockoff uh, in what would have been the very early days of Facebook. Right. I mean, this was developed in like 2000. No, the oh, city, the city was like 2003 or four, I think. Oh, wow.
1: OK. I didn't so, realize it was that early.
0: Yeah. Eventually Zondervan bought it for for over a million or right around a million. And wow. uh, the developer um, got a bit of money from that, but the, the church took most of it, as I recall. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so looking back now at how we've seen Facebook abuse data, I'm like, oh, wow. I, that was probably a really useful source of analytics info for the church to, to measure the engagement of their, of their congregation and, and such in various ways and, and adapt to that. Um, but I, I don't really know how how involved it was in reporting that stuff.
3: One of the final things that caused Ben and I to walk away was when, again, Pastor Darian Bennett telling us that Mark and the Trinity Church has hired a social media team to monitor everything everyone does that attends Trinity, especially those of us going through the chaplain program or anyone that volunteers its own staff. They monitor All your connections, all your relationships, who your friendships are, what you're posting, what you're liking, what you're commenting on, what you're sharing, Um, which are early on conversation with Mark, when I first took over as the director of security, he had told me that that's Randall Taylor and his team. They have some volunteers, maybe even a few paid staff or interns on the Trinity Church staff themselves, but yeah, they are, they're monitoring those things. following what people do,
1: ga- gauging those analytics.
2: Can I finish a quick little snippet on uh, Dustin?
1: Yes, sure. we need the end of that story, yeah.
2: Yeah, so Dustin, um, we moved down, we start getting kind of plugged in. He's one of the really friendly guys, so we, we're we friends with him now. And uh, Thanksgiving is rolling around. And uh, he's planning on going up to the Northwest, but COVID is happening and his family decides that you know probably be better if they don't come because of masking requirements and everything else. So all of a sudden, the week of, he's left without any plans. And we're like, great, come on over, right? Now, it's obvious he doesn't have any other plans because we're not that close at that point. And they take us up on it. Uh, you know, it, It's probably logical to assume that if he had other options, he probably would have taken him up. So uh, better for us because it turned out to be an amazing thing. We had a great uh, dinner, and then we did worship for like two hours around the fire pit. Apparently, this upset the higher-ups. Because he's being too relational, and it's making the other pastors look bad, so he gets Tri- talked to.
1: <laughs> this is just positive. hold on. Oh, it gets
2: funnier. Christmas is coming. Okay, at this point, oh, oh, uh, Ben. Yeah,
3: for, the, for the listeners, a uh, pastor was too relational.
2: Yeah, that's go. a good point, Chad. You know, I, I at this point I've said it so many times that it, I'm really kind of numb to it, but it, it really is that outrageous. And it wasn't that the other pastors need to actually become relational. It was that he needs to become less relational so he doesn't make them look bad. He's setting that curve way too high.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And
3: and
2: what is pastoring if
0: not being relational? Oh,
3: right. I don't know. It was was hope. Jesus relational? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but uh, I mean, I could tell you, He yes. The answer for everyone. Yes. He was relational <laughs> and wants us to be relational. I yes. could have answered that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, Dustin, but Dustin was told, I mean, he's too relational and it's, it becomes fraternizing with, with the uh, congregants and the people attending the church, right? Your fraternization, it's like the commoners. Yeah. We're, we're, commoners, peasant folk, right? I mean, fraternization, I haven't heard that since my days in the Marine Corps, right? Between officer and enlisted. And they're treating pastors like that. Like, Dustin, you're way too relational. So um, yeah, if you don't change, we're gonna have to let you go, buddy. And uh, well, he's no longer there.
1: Yeah, I'm curious of you guys' read of that. Is it, I have two thoughts in my mind. Is it because, so he's too relational, so he might be a threat to Mark Driscoll because he's getting to know all these people and then if stuff goes down like this group of people may go with dustin because he's so nice and relational or is it just driscoll's about the dollars and like you're wasting your time singing campfire songs with you know worship songs with congregants and you really should be spending time with wealthier people in the congregation or something along those lines or is it a little bit of both
2: you know my read on it is that he's an egomaniac and he doesn't want any other light to shine bright uh, with anyone. Uh, I think money is secondary to him, but that's my personal read. I don't know what his true motivations are um, because who knows? I mean, none of this makes any sense to me because it's bizarre to to even try to comprehend this one within a church environment. You know, the, as the story unfolds though, he does it again at Christmas. It's another wonderful time. Um, keep in mind that at this point, everybody on the staff had already had COVID still attended church. So it's not like that was the issue. Um, that the issue was literally that he was fraternizing with us common folks and they didn't like it. He should be resting up because he needed to work his 60, 70 hour weeks. That was, that's yeah. his job. Wow.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> my say- hours does Mark work? Mark hasn't
2: prepped a sermon in twenty years. Probably, I don't know. He admitted <laughs> to me that he only spends an hour per sermon. Yeah, which he his sure
3: sermon notes on Facebook. Come on, guys!
0: There,
3: <laughs>
1: Somebody, no, somebody's I uh, feel up. Uh, Done by uh, preaching and teaching team, <laughs> or some he, bizarre. Well, yeah, there is there is well,
0: outsourcing stuff. You know, he, you know, he'd have the anecdotes ready or whatever. Um, but there there came a point where he basically stopped
2: prepping. I found out about the Logos um, software. Mm -hmm. And I was really, you know, I really wanted to get into that and try to learn how to become a better student of the Bible. So I downloaded it and I start prepping for the next week's sermon because, you know, I really want to make sure that I'm getting as much out of it as possible. After two weeks of doing that, I stopped altogether because it ruined the sermon because I already knew what he was talking about, including Mm -hmm. his little anecdotal stories. (laughs) He literally just read it from there. I was like, man, this is kind of a letdown. I I just thought he was that gifted.
3: If I could add something to, to your question on like just my take about the relational piece, I think it is a mixture of both. Right? But like Ben said, he's my perspective, my opinion, and my observations of both seeing and listening and his being in meetings with him and seeing how his staff is treated is. Yeah, it's, it's him above everything else. So Dustin's being relational as a pastor or any of the other pastors or staff members, that takes away or building those relationships. Um, is the right thing to do, right? Like you build relationships. That's how you build a team. That's how you lead people. That's how you get people to follow you. Is you treat them, probably the way Christ treated people, and wants us to treat others. Uh, with Mark, though, it's just like this week's episode of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast about the brand, right? Is he is the brand. He was then. He is here, and he says it in his meetings. In several meetings, I said in conversations every other thing out of his mouth is about me, me, me. I, I I, have X amount of numbers, X amount of viewers, this many hundreds of thousands, this many millions of followers, which uh, my analysis is 39.9% uh, of his Twitter followers are, are fake. And I can, I think I've, I've tweeted that out, but uh, there's analysis behind that. It's not just, I didn't just make that number up. I assure you guys, but it is, it's, it's all about him. So when you look at a narcissist, and a narcissistic style leadership, it's them above everything and everyone. So if you're taking attention off of him, if you are building relationships aside from him, that creates problems and it creates chaos. Well, on the flip side of that, his leadership style is fear based. So he's instilling fear into his staff, um, which is how signing non disclosure agreements, threatening people with severances, several pastors not just up at Mars Hill, but here at Trinity, a couple of them have been let go. And I pray to God their stories come out from them someday. Uh, We're talking about one of them right now, right? Is if you don't treat Mark a certain way or oblige to his demands, then that's where the severance packages and the NDAs are held over your head, which is the way that he gets people to basically do whatever he says. And you can tell, you can read the room, you can see the staff, walks on eggshells. And back, I think the original question, maybe you asked maybe 20 or 30 minutes ago is about what was the first thing that we noticed? Well, all events, specific events aside, that was one of the first thing I noticed was how the tr- staff is treated outside of service. So when you're in these meetings, when you're around the staff that's not in the middle of the service, you see how they walk and how they act or how they react, constant react mode. Mark says that we need to, everyone needs to be proactive, not reactive, but they all react to every little thing that he does or says. I think that him pushing his staff, especially the pastors, to be non-relational, except for those that donate a certain amount of money, uh, it just shows you what type of person he truly is.
1: And you know what, Ben? Um, I apologize, because earlier I think you were telling a story about your family as well, uh, being denied the worship team. Was there more to that story, or did you...
2: It actually tied into the Dustin story, because... Ironically, I didn't find this out until much later because of events that unfolded um, when all that happened. And I sent an email and I'd actually called Dustin directly because we had a relationship. And I asked him, hey, what's the deal with this, Dustin? You know, it, is this something I should know about or um, is it just random? And he's like, you know, Ben, it's it's random. You know, we just we don't want to push him out there too early. You know, he's doing a little CYA, which I totally get. Um He's apologized to me since then because he felt bad that he misled me. Um, But here's the ironic part. I sent an email to all the pastors after that, but I excluded him because I'd already gotten my answer from him. And I outlined all of the different instances where my family wasn't treated properly, where my daughter couldn't get Landon's attention, even if she was like, hey, Pastor Landon, how are you today? And he would ignore her. Now, when she had told us the story, we're like, yeah, that can't be true. Well, here I am in the backyard serving on security, and I can see that, no, that happened multiple times. So I kind of listed out a whole entire series of uh, of complaints I had, and I just said, look, if there's something that we need to fix on our end, please let us know and we'll work on it. But otherwise, I don't need anything from you. I don't need a meeting, but you should make my family feel like they're welcome on campus. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but apparently there was instantly conversations in the background, and Dustin was being accused of being a mole for letting us know about stuff. And this ultimately, I think, had a big part in him getting fired because of his relationship with us. And I had no idea. I just, my, I couldn't continue to say that I had my family's back if I wasn't physically going to have my family's back. The thing that they were kind of worried that I knew about was that Pastor Mark, in an executive pastor meeting with all the pastors, I really ha- hate calling them pastors, by the way, It's offensive to the word. (laughs) Um, He called my 14-year-old daughter a Jezebel spirit. Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: seriously. he's. This is in a meeting with a bunch of other quote-unquote pastors. So, I mean.
2: Adult males. They're discussing a 14-year-old girl. And he has the audacity to call my daughter a Jezebel spirit. She should come over to me and apologize. And then apologize to my daughter. Because this has upset her so much. Um, Falling. It's and old timey misogyny. And for him to go on stage and actually talk about loving people or to pretend like, oh, all those people are really filled with hate, like we're the problem somehow. And it's not him.
3: I'll tell you this, Ben, is uh, not once did he have the courage to come talk to, to you face to face, man to man, husband or father to father, right? Like, hey, this is, what, this is how I feel about your daughter. Why would he say that in front of staff? I mean, he did the same thing with the Manueli family. He didn't, he didn't pick up the phone and call the father, Angelo Manueli. No. He grabs his daughter's phone and texts Angelo's son, who's two years younger than his own daughter. But he's an adult texting the 15-year-old, stop talking to my daughter. But on stage, especially on Wednesday nights at Real Men, you want to talk about being a real man and being a real husband and real father and how you need to act and lead your families, get your families, especially get your wives under control. You want to talk about all this, but your actions are totally different than what your words are on stage. Like not once has, I mean, even since all of this, not once has he or anyone from the church reached out to us, other than sending legal threats through cease and desist letters and having us served by ridiculous attorneys that i question whether or not they've even read the information that they're putting in their letters but that's neither here nor there
2: look if um, that lawyer wants to come after us and that's fine they can be downgraded from the second best law firm in the state to like the fifth because i'll take a big giant l on their record i have no problem with that yeah what i'm really yeah. offended by is the fact that you have a some dude pretending to be a pastor when he's been formally disqualified going around hurting god's people pilfering him for money so that he can live like he's a rock star and pretend like he's a rock star. He has a security detail escorting him off the stage. Like you're not that big of a deal outside of this congregation. Nobody gives a crap who you are. Get over yourself. There's,
1: there's some threads there with the security team, how Driscoll abuse security and, and the family that you were talking about Chad, that, um, the incident where that's been out in media where, uh, one of Driscoll's daughters kissed uh, a young, a young man. And their this family was basically stalked, tailed even outside of the church because they were accused of making a threat against the church or against Mark Driscoll himself or something like that. Um, yeah. And you were, were you the head of security at the time? I was, and, yes, okay. sir. and so they blamed you. They said it was your call to, to tail this family outside the church.
3: Yeah, so let me take a minute to unpack this because yes, to answer your direct question in short, yes, but yes on the surface is as we all know, it's not so it's not so simple, right? So um, Angelo Manuele or the Manuele family was not kicked out of the church for threatening to blow it up, burn it down, destroy it, and all this other stuff. Um, those are accusations against the manuelis specifically angelo but what had happened was um mark's daughter again who's two years older than the angelo's son who's 15 but yeah obviously it takes two to tango right like they both mm-hmm. kissed whatever
0: well instead there's of nothing being... wrong with tangoing yes <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're two 15 teenagers. and 17 cool. and kissing. They're,
3: they're, <laughs> yeah, they're 15 and 17. They're kissing. It's like, um, yeah, Ben's daughter's a Jezebel spirit. So, um, so yeah, so they kissed. Somehow Mark found out about it. I still don't know. Don't care. Somehow he found out about it. It's on a Wednesday, right? So on this Wednesday, uh, we have our men's and women's meetings that night. Our, and uh, Angelo pulls up. And they Brandon pulls the 15 year old vents into his office, locks him in his office, yelling at him, makes the kid cry. Um, If you have a good attorney, he could probably get charged with false imprisonment. I'm not an attorney, but things that I've read and discussions I've had with other attorneys, yeah, I mean, there is that um, perspective. The other thing on that is they released a statement, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, the same day that I got this first cease and desist letter that they've never, Abused children that they've never uh, had a credible report. Well, that in itself is child abuse. When a grown pastor, the campus pastor, pulls a minor into an office, closes the door, and won't let him out and is yelling at him about kissing Mark's daughter, and then talks to the father, goes outside to talk to the father, Angelo, tells them to leave. Like, yes, of course, Angelo is going to be upset.
2: Can we back up on this just for a second, though? Because I I just think it's important to clarify. This is where the lying really, where I started to unravel it. Brandon came back and told me this story about how there was this altercation with um, Angelo on the stairs. And Angelo came at him all hot-headed. Angelo's a fit dude. He's Italian. He's And he kind of played off this entire story that there was this altercation, but don't worry, there was security there. And Brandon told him what's up and got him to leave. I didn't find out until after we had left the church. Angela was in his car. This entire conversation happened over the phone, and there was no altercation. Cause of course that coward couldn't actually talk to him to his face.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. So
2: I just wanted to clarify that because this is where the lies start that we've the lies that we've actually identified. I'm sure that there's hundreds more that we don't know about.
1: Yeah, it's just way over exaggerating what actually happened. As this was going down,
3: and I think it's important that we actually walk the dog on this and let's let's talk about some of these details because this story was the pivotal story that caused it changed my perspective and others' perspectives to start speaking out. I mean it was two weeks later I resigned. So and things happened within those two weeks, but the backyard is the back area of the Trinity Church. So when we say the backyard is the children's area and there's there are two gates, there's an east gate and a west gate. That's how you get into the back area to get into the children's area children's building. Well I was back there briefing some of my security team members because service was about to begin. Well, pa- Brandon Anderson and Landon Chase come up to me. I said, Pastor Landon Chase. Freaking out. Um, sorry, no, Mark, Brandon.
0: Mark's son-in-law.
3: Mark's son-in-law, correct. Now, Brandon was already around front at this point. So I just talked to Brandon, and then Landon comes around back, freaking out like he always does. He's literally throwing gas, lighting matches, throwing gas, lighting matches, rinse and repeat. All over campus. So I already knew that he's over-exaggerating, freaking out, for no reason, but I obliged. I'm the director. He's a pastor. Let's, let's work this out. Landon, what's going on, Chad, you need to send relief up there. You need to send reinforcements up there right now. It it's getting crazy up front, right? Okay. Well, what's going on? Well, there's this issue between Mark's kids and Angelo's kids and um, Angelo's up there. Things are getting wild. Brandon's up there trying to handle it. He has some, some, some security guys up there, but I need you to send more people. Um, Okay. Can you give me some details? Yes. That's all you need to know. Send more people. Well, at that time, um, another gentleman on my security team, uh, his name is William. He walks up. William's also a former Marine. And he also owns a private security company. He's also happens to be the one who they hired after me convincing them to choose him over some random person on the internet to surveil the Manuel family. So oh, okay. it's crazy how that, that played out. They hate the guy. They don't like the guy. They talk crap about him behind his back. They treat him horribly to his face and behind his back. Well, he's standing there. So Landon's like, William, can you go up front? So I said, Landon, let me talk to William. I'll get him up there. So talk to William. Hey brother, something's going on. Landon's freaking out. I don't know what's happening. I've got to attend to this. I was talking to three other people on my team about something that was a little higher priority William, I trust you. You're a security expert. You've been on the team for many years. You're also a Marine. Can you just go up there and provide some support? Yes, sir, absolutely. He goes up there and I finish my discussion with my three guys. And then I go in the rear entrance that goes upstairs to where Mark's office is. So Mark and the other pastors where their office is. There's a stairway, lateral, gets goes up. There's just some stairs inside, right? So I get up there and I'm talking to um, one of the other... So actually Mark's assistant, um, who was the man that Mark got upset with for not pulling his firearm on stage the last uh, February 27th against the Native American guy that got on stage. So that guy's standing there. And I'm talking to him, and out of nowhere, Landon comes running down the hallway. Chad, I'm gonna, I'm gonna effing lose it. I'm gonna effing lose it. Okay, what's going on? I just cussed I just cussed William out. Why? You're a pastor. Service is about to begin. There's a lot of people out front. Did you do this in front of everyone? Yep, I lost it. You might want to go talk to him. So I go out front. My like, God, it's such a child! I mean, he's this is how Landon treats everyone. Um, I mean, I've seen him yell at the kids, the teenagers in his own program. And uh, so I go up front and I talk to William. I pull him aside. I'm like, William, what's going on? William hands me his radio, his security radio, some keys, and he's like, I'm done, dude. I quit. And William's been there like four or five years. I don't know how long, but. Um, He's like, you know, I just had a pastor cuss me out. I'm not going to deal with this. What'd you do? I asked for information. I'm asked to come up here and put my life on the line because I'm told that Angelo has a gun. I'm told that all this stuff's going on. I'm just asking for information to do my job, trying to do an initial risk assessment, a threat assessment. What are we dealing with here? Nope. Landon says, you don't need to know anything. Just shut the hell up and do your damn job. And then Many other colorful words, and just continues to curse William out. Williams asking for information, but that's not an isolated incident. And I think it's important to share that story because that's that's how the pastors are, and that's how they're trained to be. You look at a culture of an organization, business, church doesn't matter, military. Where does culture start? At the top with the senior individual or board of individuals, and then the culture filters down from there. And that's how it is at Trinity. That abrasive, aggressive. Macho man, Randy Savage type culture starts with Mark. Mark's pissed for not pulling his firearm on stage. Not and then Landon, who is his son in law, there's a lot of psychology that plays in here. He probably feels like he has to do that. He's constantly trying to speak on behalf of Mark. He would tell me and Ben that all the time Well, I gotta do this because Pastor Mark, this is his vision, or this is his strategy, or he said this, or he said that. Nine times out of ten, I found out it was a lie. Allegedly. Yeah, maybe they just didn't, didn't want to own it. it.
0: Mark Mark definitely purposefully cultivates a a hyper aggressive, if not violent chaotic atmosphere around him and treats the people under him like like shit to get them to do what he wants Uh, i i heard stories about you know you know there there's a definite there's an exact quote from him uh meeting with with the elders and the bylaws had been changed as such where they were merely advisors at this point like they could they didn't vote in anything his vote outweighed anybody and he wanted to do something everybody else didn't and he said frankly i don't give a shit what you think um he also yeah. docked an elder's pay 40 percent is what i was told years ago um for them disagreeing with him uh uh and calling him out on something during a meeting um but a couple things uh about the story you just told i i was thinking about how so Mark, Mark always did such a good job of cultivating a, a fear of outsiders. We can't trust uh, you know, these these bloggers, these, you know, the 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 left-wing weekly paper over here. Um, but you know, the these critics that we have, they're always trying to tear us down, either um because God's working here, and because you know that the world is always trying to to get in the way of God's work. Um or 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 they just don't like Mark himself, whatever. He he you know, he'd climb up on that cross all the time and make himself a martyr, you know? Oh, and yeah. and it was he 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 was effective in making us not trust outsiders and not listen to the warnings. I mean you said, you know, people told you over and over, but don't mm. Google it, you know, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. don't Google <laughs> it. Um and, and so in a in an environment like that, and no shame here, um, it, it generally takes something happening to you personally or somebody close to you that's going to relate the story to you and you absolutely trust what they're saying for for the light bulb to go on and for you to go oh I gotta I gotta get out this is not this is not healthy I had questions for a long time I've, I've related the story a, a, a couple times but there's another aspect of it that relates to the, to what we were talking about with with the sort of climate he creates so um there was a, there was an opportunity when when things were getting pretty rocky for for everybody to submit questions to the elders and they were going to go over them and and answer everybody's questions after a couple of weeks of thoughtfully responding and and Mark had had gotten in the habit of just so regularly causing chaos and causing backlash and and negative publicity that it was it was getting really difficult to be a member of the church we're like early on i'd be like you know i'd tell somebody i'm a christian oh where are you going like oh i go to mars hill where all the cool artists go you know it's great and then it's yeah i i um i go to i go to mars hill um (laughs) yeah because you know uh but it's not like that um but not true yeah and crazy bloggers are lying you know a lot of people they got they got their issues but People's lives are changing. People are getting baptized. <laughs> like, like all this stuff that I'm seeing, uh, that validates all of this. But um, so, so I asked, I asked a question um, about that. I was, I was just saying, hey, it's getting really hard when I'm not defending Jesus, I'm defending Mark all the time. Um, and so I want to know, like, is is he saying all these things on purpose as a ploy, as a marketing tactic? Uh, to get recognition and bring in people, you know, um, you know, where they say uh, all all news is good news or there's no such thing as bad publicity, you know? Yes, all publicity um, is good. Yeah. And yeah. and and, and or, or is this truly, you know, he's he's screwing up and he's apologizing and making amends and all that. And they didn't answer that question at all. The response was, if you're not comfortable defending your pastor, you should look for a new church. Mm hmm. And I've, I've told that story on here, but I, I'd forgotten an, an extra wrinkle to that. I don't remember how much later, but I think it was in his next book. He had a section where he talked about what he called riot evangelism, um, which was admitting to purposefully doing all of that. He, he essentially was saying, I sow chaos. And it gets people interested. They hear about us and then they come in and then, you know, the, the pastors in the community works to, you know, calm down whatever negative reactions they may have. And they they get plugged in and all that. But it brings people in. And I can see that. And so the the, the way I thought of it is like, like I was asking like, hey, why does my pastor keep stepping on landmines? And then he puts out in a book, oh, no, 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 it's not like that. I'm throwing bombs. <laughs>
3: well, like, did he do that or did he plagiarize that? I mean, did someone else write <laughs> that? I'm just curious. Well, uh, it's let, not. Let's it's, not accuse him here. I mean.
0: Lord. Even that, though, I don't know if it's fair to say that he plagiarized because he didn't really write his books mostly. I've I've had conversations with somebody. I, I, I remember talking to somebody that pretty much single-handedly wrote one of his books. I mean a lot of it was just repackaging sermon content. So there's that. And then the question is, you know, looking back now that now that something did affect you personally and, and that made you see things, as you've looked back, have have you thought of instances where people did did try to tell you things that it just it just didn't get through? And was there common themes there or
3: no? And I could say um Manuel incident that really even that was not really the incident that made me see clearly. Mm. Um, none of these incidents was I ever directly impacted, other than being the director of security, um, and seeing their leadership or the lack thereof and how they treat people and how they say one thing they being all the pastors, just my observations of them and according to what scripture says, and just great leadership in general, knowing what good leadership and what poor leadership looks like. And seeing how they treated our own staff and our volunteers, over and over uh, again, those were the experiences that caused me to resign. Not just not how I was treated, because I didn't really have a major incident for me. the The pivotal moment for me was it was the um, the incident around the accusations of the child abuse, and that was that was really the main one and how I was told to get rid of all the evidence and they wanted nothing in writing um, because because we did have a security team member write an incident report on that. Uh, the family that brought forth the concerns was kicked out within an hour didn't even get questioned uh, until a few hours later was treated horribly. and I've covered that extensively in other articles and the podcast we talked about it with Julie Royce and stuff. so I won't go into too much depth here other than that was the pivotal moment seeing, oh, wow, okay, there's a credible report brought forth and some concerns. You're telling me to get rid of it, that any evidence, any reporting, and you're also telling me, this is the campus pastor, that I'm, that me as the director, I'm not allowed to be part of that face-to-face discussion, which happened that evening. Um, It was reported around four in the afternoon. The face-to-face was around 6.30 that night. A couple of days later, like, hey, uh, this incident report, this guy sent it to my Gmail. That's not good. I want it archived in the official format of the church incident report. Um, How do you want me to archive that? And let's slice up the surveillance video footage and like, let's save that because you may need it someday. And that's my job as your director of security. It's kind of what I do. And I was told, no, I want no record of it. And then he said, Chad, could you imagine what that would do to mark Driscoll's brand and image and the Trinity Church's brand and image if that got out there? And uh, which is, again, like somehow I'm being accused of all this drama with their legal threats and cease and desist letters. But all I simply did was report what was reported to me and my concerns and the importance of documenting it.
0: You may not be able to answer this, but like how internal did they try to keep that? Like, did they inform, assuming that there were parents of a potential uh, child involved in this situation? did they actually let the parents know that there could have been something going on?
3: Well, again, they say they did. Also the father messaged me on Facebook telling me like, I know that Mark's an asshole or I don't think he used that word, but he's like, I know Mark's abrasive. He pisses people off. He treats people horribly. Like I I know this about him, but you're failing to realize Chad, like, Mark is leading. Mark is saving people. The Trinity Church is saving people like, whoa, 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 hold on. (laughs) Mark doesn't save anyone. Trinity Church does not save anyone. Wow. The last I read the scripture, Jesus is the only way to the father. like Jesus Christ himself, like not Mark Driscoll, even though Darian compares him to Jesus. No, like that's that's the level of perception that these people have. So and we still get that to this day. Ben, Ben and I and others are. Getting, Why are you sharing that post? It's 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 all conjecture. It's all hearsay. Really? Did you not read the emails and text messages? Oh, uh, Chad's a cybersecurity guy. He probably photoshopped it. Really? Like, come on, guys. Like, I just have an open mind and read it.
0: All this then, the, the talk about his uh, hurting his ministry or whatever. Can you imagine the impact to that? It's, oh. it, it's part and parcel with the the talk of, well, you know, it's really too bad that Mark left Mars Hill rather than going through a restoration process so they could bring him back to the pulpit the right way. And I'm like, hasn't he shown enough in the last few years to make it pretty clear? Like that should not be the goal. No, (laughs) no. The man should not be a pastor.
3: Exactly. Not at all.
0: If you believe that, Jesus is who he, who the Bible says he is, then God doesn't need Mark.
1: No, or any church, really.
0: No, yeah. <laughs> he's going to do what he's going to
1: do. What's you guys' read on the congregation that's still left of the church? I'm assuming that most people in the congregation are aware. I mean, at this point, if, if it's a couple hundred, a thousand, whatever it is, I mean, they have to be aware that people have been kicked out that people have been ill-treated because it's and people know people, right. And they right. hear stories and they talk and what's, what is your view of the, their current perception right now with, with everything that's going on? I'll say something short and then turn it over to Ben. So
3: we do have a lot of friends that, um, that are still there or that have recently left a lot of them that are still there. There's a handful that are still there by design, like, they're there, and some staff members even that are piping back intel or information to us that is true. Um, so they, I mean, we have people still on the inside giving us kind of like that that pulse of what the culture is like and what's being said and how people are being treated. Um, but there's also the other group of folks that are believing what Mark is saying on stage. So Mark is, uh, you know, just same thing that he does he did when Ben and I were still there to the other people that either got kicked out or that left willingly they're toxic they're demonic they're divisive um, scripture says not to talk to people like that they're busybodies. they they go around just trying to cause division that's all they're trying to do that's what he labels people as he's um, doing
0: the that the sermon that addresses the elephant in the room without naming it
3: yep yeah he, he certainly he, and, did that a lot that's crazy Is like the last couple of months, that's what his sermons have been
0: about. They're just like, subtweets.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Subtweets, left and right, these Facebook posts. I mean, you want to know something that's so sickening is the last few weeks, if you've read the articles that come out have come out about how poorly, horribly Mark Driscoll has treated his own family. Now, if you look at the the in-laws, right? How he has treated Landon, Landon, the Chase
0: family. Yeah, basically, no in law has a relationship. Right. No, none of with, the in laws with it's their like, children okay. that have married into the Driscoll family. Right. Absolutely. They've all so they've been all been branded as toxic, toxic, demonic. Yeah, divisive. and then he like preached a sermon about about how yeah, not all in laws need to have a relationship with their grandparents or their grandkids or whatever.
3: Right. Yeah. All these mark like make these jabs on stage, but he recently, this past week or weekend, I don't remember what day it was. It was this past, sometime this past week. He, Made this Facebook post. He set his dinner table, has all of his kids and their spouses, and takes this selfie with the whole group and makes this crazy post about how wonderful it is to be a, a parent. And children are the best thing, no matter what age or stage of life they're going through, and how being a grandparent is amazing, and how amazing it is to have a, weather, a wonderful mother-in-law who could write a book on being a great-in-law. And like, so what he's doing here is strategic messaging, right? Like It's it's a deception tactic. It's um, psychological operations or psyops is what I did in the military for a while. That's what he does. Those strategic messaging, whether through sermons or through social media, he did that. He's throwing it right back in their faces. Okay, guys, like you are speaking out, you're telling the truth on how horrible I am about relationships and treating the family. Well, here, let me show you a great picture of how great it is to be surrounded by family that loves you. Like that's sickening.
0: That loves you and And pays your salary,
3: Um, but it just shows you the picture that they paint. You leave, no matter how much good you did or didn't. They paint you as evil, toxic, demonic. He's a liar. Don't listen to them. They're divisive. Um, That's all they do to everyone. Divisive.
0: I I can't hear that word anymore. That's what what everybody was called that had anything, any
2: bad experience. (laughs) Can we impact divisive a little bit, though? Because I think it's important that we actually have a discussion around it. I know that we're so appalled by it that we just want to run away, but... I think it's important that we actually sit down and actually discuss this because they're accusing us or any, any whistleblower, right, of being divisive. Can the truth truly be divisive or can your poor behavior be divisive? Yeah. yeah. yeah nine, exactly. nine times
0: out of ten, somebody that was called divisive at Marcy was somebody that was saying, hey, I got hurt or I know somebody that got hurt and I want this church to do better. Can we try to do
1: that? And, yeah. the, the, and the, yeah. it was, nope, you're, you're divisive.
2: done. You are divisive. <laughs> you're,
1: you're not on mission. You're, <laughs> no. you're not on yeah. mission.
2: or
3: you
1: are going to get right. run over by
3: the bus? Like, yeah, hold on, hold
2: on. The real thing was that you're not a good leader.
3: Yeah, you're not a good leader. You're not leading your family well. You're not a good husband. You're not a good father. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't get your wife in line and your kids in line, mainly your wife, then you're a horrible leader. And uh, we're not saying, this is what they're telling us at Trinity. We're not saying that uh, you can't, like fellowship with us, you, we're not saying you can't attend Trinity, but if you're not a good leader and you don't get your wives under control, well, then you can't really be a leader here because you're not a leader at that point, but you can't serve on our team, even as a volunteer. So either get your wife under control or you're out the door. Um, yeah, well, we're, we're out the door because yes. uh, we love our wives. We respect them. They're strong, powerful women, all of the women that we're involved in being accused of, And they contribute greatly to the mission, not Mark's mission, but the Lord's mission.
2: I think this would be a fun spot to actually throw in a little bit more of my story. So for me, I didn't actually discover any. I didn't see anything. It's not that I wasn't warned because, heck, even Chad's wife, uh, Mary, she was sending the alarms weeks before us. Please read this article, you guys. Watch this two-hour video of Sutton Turner and Dave. Please watch it, you guys. So. yeah, yeah, we're trying to dismiss it. Like, no, 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 I'm not ready to see any of this yet. You know, it'll be okay. Somehow it'll all work out. Uh, So we kind of just ignored, ignored, ignored. Well, one day, uh, Brandon Anderson, again, alleged pastor, and Caleb Glennie pull Chad into a room and tell him that, well, we're not as worried about you, but Ben's not leading his family well, and because of that, I was downgraded on the trust scale. Again, I. I was fully expecting to have a conversation cuz I th- that's comical. Let's let's talk about this. It's going to be awkward for you. D-
0: dear listener, just in case you don't know, when he said he was downgraded on the trust scale, he literally well, he figuratively yeah, means <laughs> there existed a trust scale. <laughs> Yeah, and no, he literal. was downgraded on <laughs> like what, it's
3: it's what, documented it's written down it's an actual <laughs>
0: trust scale okay. I've you, seen you could say that is yeah. uh, that is literal <laughs> it's not a scale that weighs things oh no uh, not yeah, it yeah. doesn't physically exist um but is this like an excel sheet that
2: gets passed around the actual like they wouldn't know how to write the formula m-
0: methodology <laughs> of of assessing everybody
2: that could possibly interact with the Driscoll family. But keep in mind that I started out at like a zero because I have a Jezebel spirit daughter. Oh, and my boy. wife doesn't my wife can't share the stage. By with that him. they mean she's
0: interested in leading a country someday. She'd be awesome. She's that smart. <laughs> like um
2: But as I think of all it. the
0: attributes that are ever used to describe Mark, well, yeah, okay. So he's abrasive and and he's confrontational and he can be arrogant. And and I don't recall ever hearing any fruit of the spirit mentioned. <laughs> And and I don't think that's because they ran out of space in the verse to include the other
2: things that Mark has. I think those aren't part of it. I get accused of being a bad leader. I Supposedly they're going to talk to me about it, but not that night because they're too busy. Keep in mind, I'm downstairs watching the, the kids after a church service at this point. Right. So I'm still here. I'm on site. Let's have a quick conversation about it. But nope, we can't do that because they're cowards. They'll talk about me to somebody else, but they won't talk to me. I'm not even that threatening. I'm kind of overweight. Like, what am I going to do? I don't even care enough to actually fight you. So let's just talk. That's free. Well, you fast forward until Saturday. Another pastor pulls me aside, pastor. And he wants to have a quick connection and talk about where I'm at and uh, who we're being friends with. And he doesn't know why he's talking to us, but he tells us this really awkward story where he's really awkward about it, how he had a friend that hurt him because he maintained friendship with people that were no longer at his father's church. Total baloney, right? And I'm just laughing at him. Like, this doesn't even count as a conversation because you're too chicken to actually talk about what's really bothering you. Let's talk. And of course, my wife being such a shy, timid person, she instantly goes, "Um, do you want to talk about the Easter photo or what? He didn't swore up and down (laughs) that he doesn't know what he's talking about. So obviously there's a lie. So, okay. Then I go back to Pastor Brandon. I'm like, okay, are you guys going to talk about this? Because I'm really upset about this. You can't talk about me and not talk to me. Well, Ben, I'm sorry you feel that way. Whoa, gaslighting. Yeah. I don't do this. We're uh, not in Seattle. I'm not doing that. And the Easter
1: uh, photo, just for references, uh, that has to do with the spectrum of trust because you guys were photographed with uh, pastor friends Dustin that were Blatnick. not approved. Yeah, friends that yeah. were not approved or problematic people, according to the church. They, they Here's had, the ironic. They had, was... they had
0: descended the ladder of the, the
2: spectrum. Here's the truly recently, ironic part, right? He was the pastor yes, uh, at on staff. He'd got fired. But because he was so loved, Pastor Mark felt it was necessary to throw him a party.
3: Well, and these then... People were talking about it and it was causing rumblings across the congregation like, yo, you kick Pastor Dustin Blotnick out of here. Like, why is Dustin no longer here? He's an amazing pastor, uh, awesome family leader, great leader for his family, great husband, great father. He was literally the role model in the entire Trinity Church. Amazing guy. He's now started an amazing ministry. He's got amazing daughters, amazing wife. I could go on and on about this, dude, how awesome he is. So the people in the church are questioning, why is he gone? And Mark's telling people, oh, it's-, it's I have
2: the solution. I'll throw yeah. him a party.
3: Let's throw I'll him a party.
2: And, I'll go and talk about how awesome he is. No, no. I'll go talk about how awesome I am. That's what he did. He went to his party and was talking about how they have the fastest growing ministry and we have so many people. This is at his, sorry, you got fired party. Like, can you even imagine- Which- Happened
3: to be at the same location that we had our Easter brunch, where we took we had the photo taken of all these families. It was the same location, same place where Mark's telling everyone, oh, Dustin's leaving on mutual agreement and on great terms. He's loved, he's still gonna be a pastor for several months. He's still on payroll. Like we we love him, he's moving on to other opportunities, all these things, which is the only thing I ever knew. And then fast forward a couple months and we're all getting chastised for being in a photo with him on Easter, like on Instagram. Like, what are we in high school? Bro, yeah. like you got a problem with me. Pick up the phone and call me and tell me, not like pull me in and tell me that our families aren't trusted because we're in a photo with like some guy that in. by the way, that wasn't the first conversation that I had with individuals about about people. It was specifically Ben um and a few others. It wasn't, it was like the third or fourth conversation. And each time is like. Yo, when are you guys as pastors going to stop talking about people and to people? If you got a problem with Ben, go talk to him. Look out the window. He's downstairs right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're about to start the staff Bible study. So, not right now. Well, this is like the third or fourth time. When are you going to talk to him? Because if you don't, I will. Which I ended up telling Ben. And then I got pulled into another ass chewing conversation. Like, we got a secret mole leaking top secret information. Mark needs to be able to have these private, top secret discussions without anyone repeating his information. What are you guys talking about? somehow Ben knew what was said about him. Yeah. Cause I told him, <laughs> I told him cause you cowards, weren't going to tell him y'all y'all want to do is go around and talk about people, but not to him, but you want to talk about what leadership one hundred and one is about. Right. And yeah, what it's but, like to be a real man and what it's like to be a husband and father and leader,
2: but right? it gets better. So I reach out to the counseling pastor, Mr. Darian Bennett. Um, and, tell him the story in kind of in a vague terms, I'm like, Hey, I just need some help getting some resolution here. This doesn't sit right with me. And he goes on and on droning about how these young pastors, they don't understand the responsibility that comes with being a pastor. They really need to own up to this. The Bible calls us to have a higher standard. And uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this for you, Ben. Okay, cool. All I want is to be able to have my conversation with them and get this thing behind us. Right. I talked to him a week later, and it's not better. He pretends like he doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about. So either A, you've all of a sudden got some amnesia going on. You're becoming senile, which you're a little bit older, gentlemen, and maybe that's the case, but I don't think so. Um, Or you're just a bold-faced liar because you're just going to go ahead and recite the party line because you have to appease your master. I schedule a meeting with Pastor Mark. Ironically, my wife had a meeting with Grace that morning, um, earlier that day, I should say. In which Grace let her, uh, let her know that, oh, by the way, this meeting happened. They're about 10 feet, up, you know, they're a couple of feet apart on couches. And on the other side of the glass, they have two security guys watching them, like 10 feet away. Oh, gosh. Like, what in the world is wrong with you people? My wife is super friendly. She, her and Grace got along fine. What did you think was going to happen? Like, you guys are so full of yourselves. It's ridiculous. In this meeting, Grace lets her know that, you know, we have some red flags. You guys are so relational. You have brought on so many people. Um, you gave gifts, which, by the way, we asked for permission to give a gift because he had talked about it. It was a dumpster fire ornament because 2020 was a dumpster fire. Kind of, you know, cliche. <laughs> yeah, literally, but, it was but a fun, dumpster right? fire ornament. Yeah, it was funny. Um,
0: I got a dumpster fire birthday cake for, for my wife, I think, for uh, that is amazing. For How 2020 dare birthday. <laughs> How dare you?
2: Um, A little, so, little
0: fondant dumpster. So She lets us so
2: know. Cool. that She let my <laughs> wife know that there's red flags with us. Right. We, we were not really sure what to do with you guys. We're kind of slow playing it. You guys are giving off some red flags and um, you guys are not, you know, you're still in relationship with people that the church is no longer in fellowship with. And then this time I've, you can read about this other places as well, but um, grace tells my wife not to be friends with um, Vlad's wife they're really good friends and that she needs to terminate her relationship with Trina. Um, and
0: again, you had not been living in Scottsdale for all that long. And it sounds like much of your, your friend group, your social group would have been based around church.
2: Is that yeah, correct? That is correct. You are 100% so, correct. So that is our, that is our world right the there. Saying, and you're still new
0: to it. town. These are your friends. Oh, you're not allowed to have them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? It, so, yeah, well, Sorry, Ben, on
3: that real quick. In that meeting that I had with Brandon and Caleb when they're going over the spectrum of trust, and it was, well, your wives are friends with these women. And if as a man and as a husband, if you can't get your wife under control, then Brandon looks at me and he's like, you know, it's like this. Women are way too emotional and they have way too many strings tied to these relationships. As men, we're not, we're more logical. And as a man. We're very logical and we can make these manly decisions. So if Mark tells us not to, that these people aren't safe or these people aren't trusted and we need to sever relationships, guess what we're going to do? We're going to, as men, we're going to sever those relationships. Well, our wives don't have the ability to do that. They're way too emotional. So they can't, they can't cut those relationships. So if they don't, then that means that you're not leading your household well, which means that. You we're not saying that you can't be here, we're just saying that you can't serve in any sort of leadership role. So yeah,
0: the, the trauma for women at Mars Hill, it's it's very difficult to to um, to overstate how intense and widespread it was. And like I said at the beginning of this, it's hard to think of of like absolute must-have people to interview for like that to tell the story, right? Because so few women got to have any sort of position of leadership or anything. But I, I I, knew so many stories about, you know, women toward towards the end of a family's time at the church, women would be sitting in the pews having panic attacks, having anxiety attacks from being there, um, that that would trigger a physical, like fight or flight response in their bodies of, we have to get out of here, this is not safe. And I always I always think, you know, that the tragedy of the class of Mars Hill is not that an asshole lost his job. It's all of these relationships, this community that was built was scattered to the five winds and divisiveness, as it was called, created distrust amongst those before people left. So people abandoned friendships because this person left before they did, and thus they can't be trusted and, and, you know, people yep. went out and found different churches. And when your church is your main, the center of your social life, relationships just end all the time when, when, when splits like that happen and collapses. And it's really, really rough and, and traumatic and, and a thing to grieve. And you, Chad, now that you're like the most visible face of, the people leaving Trinity church, arguably. Um, I imagine a lot of people are reaching out to you with their stories. We talked about how, what, what I did Mars with Mars Hill was sharing people's uh, uh, stories, put our names on it, shared our stories, let people read those and recognize their own stories in it. But people were just constantly sending in their stories to us. And I imagine that you're hearing a lot of people's stories, people probably from Mars Hill, people that have left the Trinity church, people that are still there probably. And I'm, I'm wondering if there are common feelings that are being expressed to you. And I'm really wondering about the women's stories.
3: Yeah, great question. I, You're absolutely right. I have become inundated with messages and conversations. Um, and to those, if you're listening and I haven't responded to you just yet, I apologize. I will uh, within this next week, I promise. I've, I've had a lot, so many, I haven't been able to reply to all of them they're heartbreaking and it's sad. I mean, it's, it's hundreds of stories. And there are many of them have said, Hey, I want to remain private and quiet for now. I just wanted to know if I could talk to you about it or, or who I could talk to about it. Others are, are starting to speak out and they want me to connect them with people such as, as yourselves, right? Zach, Dave, like for podcasts, so I, I might link you with, with a handful of them. Um, others have, I've already linked with, with Warren Throckmorton or Julie Royce or, um, some have even tried to go to local media here in Phoenix already. So there's, there's a mixture, right? So, so I know you I think your question was specific to women, although I've had men speak out too, they're starting to speak out. I've seen an uptick. So they're starting to speak out more and more, which honestly, from the very beginning, Ben and I both, we prayed about this a lot. We talked about this. I mean, before he and I even stepped into a leadership role on the security team, we were sitting in our vehicle Outside Trinity, and we looked at each other. We were both sitting there drinking some cold brew, like we always are—cold brew coffee. We're sitting there having conversation, like, "Dude, we're gonna get—we're not gonna last. Like, we're gonna get fired, or we're gonna have to resign." We knew that going in. That was before we started. And seven weeks later, we were out the door. Um, we just had this feeling and observation. So now that having been through that and listening to these people's stories, I think you know God put us there for that reason. And at the end of those seven weeks, when we did resign and walk away. That was honestly the entire reason I even wrote my open letter and started com was it wasn't about me and it never has been and never will be because I was never directly impacted. It's the hundreds, if not thousands of other people that have been impacted by Mark Driscoll that are truly been hurt. I mean, you have families right now that are on the brink of divorce people, handful of people. I know three specific people from Trinity that have contemplated or attempted suicide because of this. And then wow. you got, yeah, divorces, you got people in marriage counseling, you got people that are going through their, their own issues, whether it's it's mental, physical, spiritual, things that I won't even begin to talk about right now, because it's very private and confidential, but people are deeply impacted. So I felt, Ben felt, Ben and I both, that God put it on our hearts to speak out. So that's why we started speaking out was hopefully to encourage others and give people a platform to voice their pain and voice their story and share their story and tell people hey yeah Marcus threatened to sue people and he I mean he sent me three cease and desist letters so far. I had four, but one was a duplicate. I thought it was four. So um <laughs> yeah so I just get on so it's like the daily news now it's like okay dude either if if you sue me, great let's go do this dance in court and we'll get to see all the nasty stuff that you and your staff do. We'll go straight yeah. to Discovery go and we we'll yeah. yeah like <laughs> I have <laughs> <laughs> no. And what's crazy is like the seats and the fifth letters he's already written. It's it, the, the exact thing that he doesn't want to go public by having his attorney put it in writing makes it go public. I can share it right now with the public if I wanted to with the exact names and the exact accusations. I, I could. And I've talked to some reporters like, like legit news reporters, not just journalists of doing that, but I've chosen not to do that just yet because there are certain families involved in some dynamics that just doesn't sit well with me right now. God tells me to, then I will. But uh, so all that being said is we've kind of built this platform to where it's gotten some attention, which was never the goal. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about uh, attention or people reaching out to me. I want people's voice to be heard. And for at some day, some point, for it to be taken seriously that Mark is truly hurting people. It's not, we're not all toxic and demonic and evil and the same stuff that he's saying that he did at Marcel that he's doing here at Trinity. So um, I ask and encourage people to keep reaching out. We're we're going to connect people with others like yourselves that maybe could be a guest on this wonderful podcast and share their stories or another podcast or write an article and get it out there. So there are there's a lot um, too many that I can't keep up with.
0: It's so often the issues with Mark are reduced to style that that people aren't comfortable with his style of preaching. Yes, he's abrasive and all that. But God's using him because we see the baptisms, we see the conversions and all that. And over and over and over, we're trying to say, listen to the people coming out of there. They were there enjoying the style. (laughs) They didn't get hurt by the style, but they got hurt. They got hurt badly by Mark, by the people that Mark trained up and told how how to run things under him. By, oh, yes. he dictated everything you may have not uh, had your life destroyed and, and had and had your friendships cut off by mark personally but somebody acting under the authority given to them by mark with instructions of how to deal with the situation did that to you and the, the fact that so many people from mars hill six years seven years seven years after it imploded But many of them, far more years since they left, are still walking around confused, trying to put the pieces back together, because this was an identity-forming experience being part of that. And it totally rocked their understanding of themselves and their faith. And, you know, if if somebody is telling them that Mark is like Jesus... And you come to realize that Mark's an asshole. What does that say about Jesus and your understanding of who Jesus was? You know, that's pretty important.
2: Yeah, um, that's
0: right. So it's not, it's not an issue of style. It's not an issue of him, him using some bad words now and then. Because it is the about, he is actively hurting people. And yeah. I hope the Christianity Today podcast gets into that because this is not a history story. This is not done. <laughs> this is an ongoing no. problem. <laughs> well, I,
3: it's funny as I've connected with Mike Cosper. Um, on, we, we connected on Twitter and he said that he and his creative production team, right, they've tracked all the Trinity stories, the articles, the podcasts that have come out. And what he and his team are looking at right now is, okay, clearly the rise and fall of Mars Hill is a story in and of itself, but it didn't stop in Seattle. Um, so how how is he and his team gonna maybe cover this Trinity story um, going forward? And so that's something they're looking into. The attention's there; it didn't stop. Right? We thought it stopped. Maybe changed a little when he moved down here to the desert. No, nah, it hasn't changed. But you're you're right. It's not the style, the charisma, the communication style. That's not what's hurting people because that part is what attracts people. It's it's how he treats people directly or indirectly. It's the through, abuse behind it. It's quotes. the abuse. It's the, absolutely, it's abusive. Um, and the way that he trains his staff and condones them to treat
1: people, it's it's just another extension. So yeah. it's sad. We've been around the topic of divisiveness tonight. And I think it's important to say that the divisiveness is the abuser. Like that's, that's what's causing divisiveness, not the people confronting it or saying this is wrong, or as as we said, being hurt by it. Ben wanted to share the end of a, a story that you were previously talking about, right? Ben.
2: Yes. So the same day that my wife met with Grace Driscoll and got the news that we were viewed unsafe for many reasons, um, and we we're trying to work through that, and my wife was encouraged to no longer be friends with certain people. I had a meeting scheduled with Mark. Um, when I finally got up there into the the castle. Um, as they lovingly call it, um, I get escorted into the office, and instead of it just being Mark and his uh, and Sorry, John Wilnick.
0: They, they call what is the castle?
1: The castle Mark's office. Is
0: oh, just his, his office it's, where he keeps all of his weapons.
1: It's the fortified yes.
3: office area. Yeah, it's where the safe is full of weapons. I okay. was there when they installed it. Okay,
0: oh um, cool. and, and purchased it.
2: Yeah. So I get invited upstairs and he and I are not close by any means. I've never tried to have a relationship with him. I never really cared. And I get up there and I wanted to have a conversation about the way his staff was behaving. Cause in my mind, I desperately wanted to believe it was just them. It wasn't him. They were doing it without him knowing because I really, really needed to believe that. And granted, I just gotten my wife's debrief on what had happened in her meeting I get up there and the first thing he does is come over and hug me in front of all of the other pastors, all these other guys that have been talking poorly about me and treating me badly, to which I'm like, that is really odd that you're hugging me. We're definitely not on that kind of a relationship level, right? Like you're going straight to second base. Can we like slow down a little bit? And uh, he, you know, he's like, Hey, thanks so much for meeting. You know, I'm sorry that we're meeting under these circumstances. I just want to start off by letting you know that I have never heard anything negative about you guys, you and your family, you guys serve your butts off and we love you guys and we we appreciate you. And uh, yeah, I've never heard anything bad about you guys. And then he looks over at everyone, isn't that right? And of course, they're all just bobbleheads nodding up and down, to which I'm like, this is really odd because your wife just admitted that you guys were very uncomfortable with us. And this is prior to me finding out that he had accused my daughter of having a Jezebel spirit, right? Because at this point- this would have been a very different encounter if had that, had I known that. So the very next thing he says, though, I just thought I was just stunned. He goes, in fact, um, I just wanted to say that we're proud of you, that you're doing such a better job leading your family. I'm like, wait a second. You just got done telling me you've never heard anything negative about me. And you're going to turn right around and try to insult me. Like I'm too dumb to figure out that you just said, I wasn't leading my family well before, but now I'm doing a better job. Like you're giving me a cookie or something. Thanks, Pastor Mark. Oh. You're the best.
1: Oh, goodness.
2: So we the, that meeting kind of got hijacked for different reasons. And uh, I didn't really get to discuss any of the things on my my list, but that, that was fine. I, I tried to coordinate having another meeting with him later because I really did want to discuss some of these issues. But at this point, I knew who he was. I sent an email. The reply I got was, um, Pastor Mark can't be your primary uh, contact for disputes moving forward oh boy i was like so i've exhausted all of your fake pastors you fired the one real pastor and now pastor mark can't be my primary contact thanks for that
3: which he wasn't you went through many other layers first
2: oh i went to the person that actually did it i went to the counseling pastor I, i went through everyone so then that was uh yeah, that, that was our story on the way out of there. And then uh, when we still were too dumb to leave the church because we were that dumb trying to protect our kids and they were having so much fun, uh, we we thought that maybe we could just sit in the back of the church and attend and allow the kids to keep serving and be engaged. My daughter served on a photography and social media team on Monday morning. I'm in back in Portland for work. And on Monday morning, she gets pulled into the, the top office there in the castle and um, she asked the question like, hey, I heard that we're not allowed to take pictures of certain people. Can you tell me who I'm not allowed to take pictures of? And she gets pulled aside into the room. And well, you know, Brooklyn, all the people that left security team, there's some bad blood there. And until that gets resolved, we can't have any photos of them. So she lists off all the people. And Brooklyn immediately asks her, well, does that include my parents? And she's like, sorry, Brooklyn. Yeah, them too. And your sister. And you, of course, how's she going to post a picture of herself? She's the one taking pictures. And why does any pastor need 3000 pictures of himself at any service? I don't know.
3: And she was told to take down pictures of my kids, my daughters.
2: No, she wasn't. That's where the lie started.
3: Oh, that's right. That's right. So
2: that was the bait to get us to erupt so that they could tell us, tell everybody that, well, these people are not safe. They're not good people. Right. But we didn't bite. I told Brooklyn to get out of there instantly. Don't say a word. Go cry it out. I'll deal with this well the next day i get a phone call from the i don't even know what a stupid made-up title is who director I used
3: to- of communications now that they changed the title to director of like pastoral team or something
2: I'm sorry but yeah. over and over and over i just keep thinking
0: this is not a large church <laughs> it's like
3: like there are whoa, 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 so whoa, whoa, whoa. many <laughs> zach hold on that's <laughs> blasphemy how dare you he is he's the them. largest pastor in the western united states the largest <laughs> ministry Around the globe, millions <laughs> and millions of hits a minute. Come on, what do you mean this is not a large church? I mean, there's
0: there's team a few after team people. after like, team. <laughs> a pastor whose only job is dealing with interns, and and yes. it's like a 1, thousand, twelve hundred, something like that. Like it's not
2: across a massive church. <laughs> it got over it got over two thousand at the peak. Okay. Um, spread, and across, then, hold on,
3: spread across multiple services yeah. over an entire weekend, but. Yes. Yeah, so now we're at the stage, right? So it's, you're right. It's not that large, but now Ben's got to daughter, run it, as runs if his, it is Yes. And now, <laughs> well, but now people, families that have left or being kicked out. Now oh, they, their photos of their families and their daughters or their kids, Ben and I, both all of our kids are our daughters. Like they can't be posted on our social media. Like that's where the, their director of communications is leading to. And
2: she doesn't they, have access to that. She can only take the photos. So, I mean, think about this. She could just take pictures and then they could just not select them. No harm done. Right. But no, they pull her aside intentionally to hurt her feelings so that we would react, get a mama bear incident. And then they have justification to kick us out. We don't bite. So they call me the next day. They actually they called each of us in succession. Yep. And here's the story they told us. Well, Brooklyn might be upset. And I just want to tell you that it's our you know, it's my fault. Uh, I'm the director. I didn't tell him to do that. And um, I take full responsibility. I'm like, what are you taking responsibility for? Acting like I don't know a thing. Well, I we uh, somebody told Brooklyn to delete a photo offline. I'm like, this is amazing. I know that they're not paying you enough to just sacrifice your integrity like that. You're going to willingly lie about what you guys told to a 16, 17 year old girl, just so you can get me to react. I'm like, you've got it you, you win, I'll leave. I don't have to be here. I don't know why I was talking myself in a sting to begin with. You guys are crazy. You lie about everything. So that's how, that's my story from leaving the Trinity church.
3: Yes. After he calls Ben, he calls me and was like, he didn't know that I knew anything he should have assumed because Ben and I, like we, we co-ran the entire team and security organization together. Like, So he calls me directly afterwards and was like, hey, you know, there was this misunderstanding. I'm the director of the communication team. And someone on my team made a decision in my absence to go through and remove photos of people or a photo is what he said of families that have left Trinity. And, you know, that's not the guidance we were given. It was a misunderstanding. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know what you're saying. Well, there were some photos that were, we were told to remove on on Instagram and Facebook. And okay, who did it? Well, it was just a misunderstanding. That's not what was said. I'm like, how do you misunderstand a direct quote? I call them out. I'm like, your staff members told her directly, these people by name list are not allowed to be on our social media. You need to go remove their photos. Like, first of all, do I care? No. It goes back to the comment earlier. Are we in high school, middle school? Like, what do I care if? I don't honestly you did me a favor like I don't want my daughter's photos on your social media take them down go for it which ironically most of their content was my daughter's and Ben's daughters on on their Instagram so
2: again to clarify she was not told to take the photos down that's the lie they told us the next day in order to get us to get mad and leave
3: which didn't work because we already knew what their games were
2: Uh, we did leave so i guess it did work no we 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 left
0: such petty things i don't know yeah it sounds like a a, like what i imagine reality television is like what i don't really watch it it much but it's an authoritarian
1: (laughs) cult
2: and that's (laughs) yes
0: like every little thing has to be we have to have a meeting to discuss request that a photo be like zach, you're, you're right
2: we
1: <laughs> often microcosm awesome of north korea it's i mean <laughs> thank you i've said
3: that numerous times you're absolutely right and zach to your comment about it being reality tv we've jokingly said that numerous times that we could start a reality television show here like and it would probably be a hit but that would give certain someone
2: too much More of a another platform, platform.
1: Yeah. yeah i don't, don't want another platform so well, anyways, guys, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, um, and and just your courage in speaking out and trying to be a voice for, as we talked about tonight, people who are getting deeply hurt again, uh, spiritually abused, emotionally manipulated, um, even threatened. Um, it, it's it's tragic, but I think, like you said, we can only hope in whatever forum people go to that more people will just speak out at this point yeah it's like it's like what do you say you know i think those of us in seattle it, we're hearing these stories and it's like uh it, the whole thing just never stopped it just keeps going in some ways it seems more extreme though at trinity than it was here in seattle um it is yeah just God. i mean like literally
0: like, with like, this photo stuff like i i was just thinking about like was like a year or so where like i personally ran the mars hill arts blog and just because like the guy that was doing it was like yeah i'm getting tired of it can you take over this for me like all right whatever and i just like post about whatever was interesting to me a lot of it super probably not appropriate for some folks like it wasn't christian art but but like there was like no oversight like nobody was telling what i could or couldn't write about and uh you know i just post whatever. Uh, but, you know, micromanaging of social media was less of a thing. And, and I just can't imagine trying to to do any sort of volunteering of, of putting content out there or whatever while having yeah. to make sure that nothing could ever impact Mark's fragile ego.
3: Well, and I know we're, we're wrapping things up here, uh, Dave, but you're right. It helps with your perspective because I wasn't at Mars Hill, so I can't speak on behalf of what you all had to endure there. But what I can tell you is I sat elbow to elbow with Mark Driscoll, and he told me, points his finger at my face, and he says, you know, don't forget that I set this church up differently. I learned a lot of lessons at my last church. And by the way, like if you ever say Mars Hill around him, he twitches and will come unglued. And from what several of the staff members have told me, if you say the words Mars Hill, you're fired always my last church or my previous church my last church and that's wow. all mark ever refers to as my last church so he says i learned a lot of lessons from my last church and i structured this one differently on purpose it's defensible it's impenetrable he used words like that like and he said i'm not going to go down like i did last time
1: oh like that
3: yeah and it was in a security meeting where we were talking about angela directly it was like my first week being the director of security for my first couple of weeks and he says um i'm in charge here i'm in control He's talking about how he structured it and the lack of elders and a lack of board, right? And he does have overseers. And what I didn't know until I started researching Dr. Wayne Grudem's book, Systematic Theology, there's a second chapter in there on uh, church organization, church governance. And the original Greek text, I believe that the word was actually translated English is is overseer. It's one of the words, right? And that's the term that Mark uses. But those overseers or elders aren't local, they're translocal. Well, as of recently, as of like two weeks ago, he's now claiming he has local elders. This may come out in a soon-to-be-released article or podcast that um, hopefully should come out in the next week or so. But he's claiming he has local elders now, but they're top secret. And and, and, and you're not allowed to know who they are because yeah. they're prominent business leaders in the Valley. Ooh. And if And if their names are posted on my website, then they're going to catch a bunch of backlash and they're going to get attacked. And the individual asks, Mark, well, why would they get attacked? Well, because anyone that associates with me gets attacked. That's Mark speaking. And the guy asks him, well, if they're your elders and they can't withstand the heat and the duties and responsibilities of being an elder, then why are they your elder? Why And how do we know you're... Hey, we know you're not lying again like you have these elders local elders but they're business leaders but they don't serve at the church and no one can access them that's the whole thing that ben and i why we had to go public like talk about matthew 18 first of all i don't think it applies when there's abuse involved but we tried every step of the way and what elders are we going to go to all the pastors if we've given countless examples of hypocritical behavior and ungodly behavior non poor ethics poor morals like who are you supposed to go to? So all these victims that haven't spoken out yet, who are they supposed to go to? There are no elders. Mark's now claiming he has them, but where are they? They're top mm-hmm. secret classified. You can't access
1: them. To me, that's not an elder. Uh, uh, just un- unbelievable, just on so many levels. But thank you again, guys, for speaking out your courage, um, for sharing these stories, which are going to be hopefully important to, Whoever wants to listen to this podcast, so we wish you guys well in the continued speaking out. Thank so you.
0: If, if folks want to want to read some of the the stories and what Chad's put up online, that's deardriscoll right? Yes, sir. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I I hope we see more stories, but more more than that, I hope we see less people being hurt. And for that to happen, I think that means we need Driscoll to not. Be pastor. Pas- be pastor yeah. Mark anymore. Yep. Agree to that.
1: We appreciate former Security Director of Trinity Church, Chad Fries, and also former volunteer and security volunteer, Ben Aeneas, for being with us on the podcast. It is worth noting in the past two weeks, Christianity Today released an article on July 26, 2021 by Kate Shelnut, And the headline was, Former Mars Hill Elders, Mark Driscoll is Still Unrepentant, Unfit to Pastor. And the first two paragraphs of that article, quote, More than 40 elders who served with Mark Driscoll during the final years of Mars Hill Church are publicly calling for him to step down from his current pastoral position and seek reconciliation with those he has hurt. This is a a quote here in the second paragraph, we are troubled that he continues to be unrepentant, despite the fact that these sins have been previously investigated, verified, and brought to his attention by his fellow elders prior to his abrupt resignation from Mars Hill. They wrote in a statement originally released Monday to CT, Christianity Today. Accordingly, we believe that Mark is presently unfit for serving the church in the office of pastor. Mark Driscoll, of course, went from Seattle down to Scottsdale, Arizona, to plant the Trinity Church in 2016, where he is currently the pastor, as we have discussed with Chad and Ben. Notable about this Christianity Today article is back in the Mars Hill days, Mars Hill had a sort of triune type of executive leadership based on prophet, priest, and king that you sometimes hear in evangelical and theological circles. Mark fancied himself as the prophet. Sutton Turner was the king, meaning like administration, the business mind, and Dave Bruscus was the priest. Included in this statement, seven years after the collapse of Mars Hill in 2014, Sutton Turner and Dave Bruscus have joined these voices publicly to call on Mark Driscoll to resign from the pastorate of the Trinity Church and to step down from leadership. We hope here, at the Veterans of Culture Wars podcast, and many other people that Mark will do that. Ideally, that Mark would go to therapy and, in my mind, place himself under pastoral counsel. This has been another episode of the Veterans of Culture Wars. If you would like to get in touch with us, we have a show Twitter at VCW Pod. Zach is at Muzak, M U Z A a c h i am at dave j lester on the bird app you can uh touch base with zach and his artwork and music at muzak.bandcamp.com you can read some of my writings and musings at dangeroushope.wordpress.com music and logo by zach thank you so much for listening please rate and review our podcast wherever you would like to get podcasts.